0: When I was um, growing up, I remember imagining what my life would be like when I was like 25. I don't know why 25. I just felt like, oh, no, that's like a long way off, and it's the distant future. So I like imagine what my life would be like. And if you can think about like, if you had a picture frame, like you know, when you're 13 and you had, and you're like, I'm gonna fill in this picture frame of what my life is gonna be like when I'm 25. And it's like, if we took a picture of my life. This is what it would be. And Right now, you know, the picture of my life is uh, Mary uh, with one son. Um, and that could take, you know, family picture kind of capture where it is. But then it would also be, well, you know, pastoring a church, living in Bears country, which I would not have chosen, but, you know, as Cracker fan, uh, living, you know, in the town where Groundhog's Day was filmed. And when I was a kid, I wouldn't have necessarily planned out, you know, when you're 34, this is what's going to be in the picture frame of your life. And so for yourself, consider what's in the picture frame of your life right now. If, we took, if someone could just snap a picture that fit all the parts of your life into that picture, um, what would you have in the, in the picture frame? And is that what you planned it to be? And is that what you expected it to be? Did life turn out as you imagined or as you wanted it to be? Is what's in the picture frame what you thought it would be in the picture frame at the age you're at right now? And even now... You, no matter your age, you probably have a, a picture of the future of what you think the future is going to be like. What you know, what's the summer going to be like? What's next year going to be like? What's the next five years or ten years? Or what's it going to be like when I'm 50 or when I retire? And you, know, you have something in that picture frame of like this is what my life is going to be like. You're imagining what the future will be. And the question is, where does that picture come from? Where does you know? How do we decide what gets put in that picture frame? Is we're imagining our life in the future. Where does that picture come from? Uh, Why are those the elements that we put in the picture frame? And who or what influenced those things to be in the picture frame? You know, when I'm 13, I'm imagining my life at 25. And when I'm 25, I'm imagining it at 50. And it's like, what influences us to imagine our life to be that way in, you know, so however many years? In our passage today, the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus gives pictures of our future. He uses these four images. But it's it's kind of like a a choose your own adventure book where it's like, you know, the ending, the outcome of the book is based on, you know, if you want to go this path or this path, you know, flip the page 10 or whatever. And it's like at the end of the book, it's like you have uh, a different ending to the book depending on which path or which pages you choose uh, to go down. And Jesus says it all depends on, you know, what path we follow, or even better, who we follow. And who we follow depends, determines what our future looks like. And Jesus gives a warning that the, uh, the picture we are heading towards is drastically different depending on who we follow. Where we're going and who we're becoming are determined by whose words we're living by, who we're letting influence us and tell us uh, what our, we should be doing with our life. In this pastor we're looking at Luke chapter 6. Verses thirty-nine through forty-nine is the final section of this sermon that Jesus has been teaching. We've taken it in three different chunks and start back in uh, chapter six, verse twenty, and then it goes to verse forty-nine of chapter six. And let's remember who Jesus' audience is. He had prayed all night on a mountain, and then after he was done praying, he called his disciples to him, and he chose from among them twelve to be called apostles. These are going to be authorized witnesses. Um, about his life and what he had done. Um, And then he comes down the mountain, and when he comes down the mountain, he has a great crowd of his disciples, and it says a great multitude of other people who came to hear him and be healed by them. And then it said in uh, chapter 6, verse 20, uh, after healing all these people, a bunch of people, it says that Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and began to teach them. And so Jesus' primary audience here is disciples. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, a Christian, you know, there's not really different levels in the Christian life. It's not like, you know, I became a Christian when I was 15, but I didn't really become a disciple when I was 25. Like, no, all those things are the same. We're not a Christian if we're not a follower. We're not a follower, you know, if it's, they all go together. Um, but Jesus' primary audience is his disciples. some The people who have indicated a commitment to him in some way. But he's also speaking in the hearing of all these people who have come out to be healed. And so, you know, he's looking at his disciples, but other people can hear as well. And he ends the sermon with four pictures to wake up his audience uh, to the danger of what they might be in if they're not listening to him. If you're just out here to get healed, if you're out here just to hear me, and then you're going to go home and nothing's going to be different, he says, I have a warning for you. There's four pictures that you need to consider for what your future's going to be like. And each of them uh, is a challenge to us personally uh, to consider who am I following? Whose words am I building my life upon? So we'll look at the conclusion to this sermon by looking at each of the four images and how they connect together. Um, So the first is in verses 39 to 40. And the whole first part of the sermon's conclusion, 39 to 45, is continuing on the theme of mercy. In verse 36, Jesus said, Be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. And then he explained what that mercy will look like and what the reward of it will be. He said in 37 and 38, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And so, not showing mercy is judging and condemning people. And to show mercy is to forgive and to give to people. Then he explained that the measure that you're using for others is the measure that God's going to use for you. Uh, If we're giving out judgment and condemnation, that's what God's going to measure out to us. If we're giving out forgiveness and uh, generosity, and giving to people, uh, then that's what will be given to us. Then in verse 39, starting in our passage, it says this, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And this is, you know, somewhat humorous and ridiculous image. It's kind of like, you know, uh, eyes strapped on a blindfold, and then it would be one thing for me to say, you know, okay, I, I can't see can you lead me to the shell station or whatever it is over there and be like, oh yeah, we don't have blindfolds on. We could lead you easily. But if it's like, you know, if I strapped on a blindfold and I strapped a blindfold on Dolores, it's like, okay, Dolores, lead me to the gas station. It's like, well, it's the blind leading the blind. We can't, we can't see. Neither one of us can see. How can one blind man come up to another one and say, hey, you know, take my hand. Um, I'm going to lead you where you need to go, I'm going to help you get around here. No, the blind leading a blind, Jesus says both are going to fall into a pit because neither one is able to see. A blind man needs someone leading him who can see. And Jesus applies the image in verse 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. And the image of the blind leading the blind is about who are we following? Because like if they have a blind man sitting there and he's gonna have somebody lead him, so he's following them. It's like, who are we following in our life? A disciple will become like his teacher in character and conduct and in, in destiny, like father like son, or in this case, like teacher like student. And the disciple will never become greater than their teacher, but they will become like their teacher. They're gonna be trained by them and they're gonna imitate them and they're gonna grow up to be like their teacher. That's who they're becoming. And so just like a blind man puts his trust in another blind man and then falls into a pit after him. So your teacher is going to determine uh, in the path that you're walking and where you're going to end up. And so the implication is choose your teacher wisely. Choose who you're going to follow wisely. Who are you going to let lead you in life? You need a leader who can actually see to lead you. Jesus pointing in this, he's pointing to himself as the teacher that they should listen to. Like, if you're just a bunch of blind people trying to lead each other, like, that's not going to work. Like, you need to find the teacher that is going to concede to actually lead you somewhere. And what is Jesus saying uh, that they are, are blind to? And the themes in the sermon so far have been about uh, the blessings of the kingdom and the mercy of God. And a blind teacher is one who is blind to those things. God's kingdom, how it works, God's mercy, God's ways, what He is like. If somebody's a blind teacher, they don't see those things, so they're not able to lead us into those things, into God's kingdom, into His mercy, into following Him. And the question for us is, who or what are we letting teach us? Who are we following? We're all disciples of someone or something. That's just not a choice. Every single person in the world is a disciple. It's just whether they're a disciple of a blind teacher or a disciple of Jesus, who can actually lead them into, the, into God's kingdom and into God's ways. And if we uh, are following someone who isn't any better off than we are, uh, that's not going to do us any good. We need a teacher who can see. The blind can't lead the blind. And the next image shows how people act when they're blind to God's ways, to God's mercy, to God's kingdom. So verses 41 to 42 is the second image. It says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The verses continue on uh, the metaphor of sight. The first one was about a blind person, and this is about someone who has uh, obstructed vision, and it's supposed to be... Humorous. The, the log that they're talking about is like the beam that would be used for the roof of a house or a beam that might be used to uh, bar a door to lock it up. And it's supposed to be ridiculous. So, you know, I've got my little helpful things here. It's supposed to be like, you know, somebody who has this two-by-four sticking out of their eye It's obstructing their vision, and they want to go help somebody with, you can't even see it, this little speck of sawdust. It's like, you know, uh, Heather, I see you've got a speck of sawdust. Let me come help you with that. It's just like you can't even you can't even see yourself. How can you have the, when you have this beam in your eye? How can you come help me get a speck of sawdust out of my eye? It's like uh, we just can't happen. And we would ask, no, is such a person qualified to do the task that they're attempting to perform? To perform, they have a two by four in their eye, trying to get a little speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye. And so we ask, okay, well, what is this whole? image means. What what does removing the speck stand for? Like, that's the image, but what does it stand for? And the activity the person is involved in is uh, criticizing or correcting others. And they're seeing what's wrong in another person's life, pointing it out, correcting them. And that activity in itself, in and of itself, is not wrong. The Bible clearly tells us that we're supposed to both instruct each other and correct and warn each other. If we see someone going off the path, we see that somebody uh, getting into a bad place, if we're supposed to do a correction with one another. And Jesus even says, after you remove the beam from your own eye, now you're able to remove the speck from someone else's eye. And the problem is that this person has their own obvious issues that they haven't dealt with as they're trying to deal with issues in other people's lives, other people's shortcomings, and maybe you've heard someone say, you know, do as I say, not as I do and this is somebody recognizing I'm not even living up to my own <laughs> advice I'm giving to you, you know I'm, I have these values and behaviors I'm telling you you should have and it's like, well, you know I know I'm not living this, but do as I say not as I do, or maybe you've thought to somebody talking to you you know, you should follow your own advice if they're telling you all this stuff you should do and then you're looking at their life and you're like yeah, but it sounds like you really need to put this into practice too. That's, that's us seeing that the person giving advice isn't very good at keeping their own advice. And in, in these instances, Jesus says, this is what a, a, it means to be a hypocrite, somebody who has these values or, or things they think that other people should be living out, but they themselves aren't living them out. And we just saw an example of this in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, when Jesus got to, into a controversy about the Sabbath with the Pharisees. And Jesus' disciples are walking through the grain fields, and they've got little pieces of grain and they're plucking them and they're rubbing in their hand to get the outer shell off and then they're eating them. And this, in the Sabbath laws, was considered to be work. They're harvesting and preparing food. And you may think, well, that's kind of you know, weird. It's not really doing much, but that's how they saw it. And so it was prohibited. And they asked the disciples, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And immediately after this, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath and a man with a withered hand, it's kind of like you know, dried up, he can't use it, comes in. And then Jesus asked them, you know, what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or do harm? To save life or to destroy life? And then they didn't answer him. And then Jesus tells the man, stretch out your hand, and he's healed. And all throughout that scene, the Pharisees and teachers are spying on Jesus. Says so they're spying on him, looking for a reason to accuse him. And then after he heals this guy, it says they start plotting how to get rid of him. And so what's going on? They're nitpicking the specks in other people's eyes. They're saying, you can't, you can't pick the grain. You know, it's kind of a debated issue. Like, Was that picking grain? Was that, was that work? You, know, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, what's more lawful to do? Do good or do harm? To save life or destroy life? And what they're doing is plotting how to get rid of someone, how to get Jesus out of the scene. They're, you're spying on him so they can accuse him, and then they're plotting. It's like, okay, well, look, you guys are like, trying to pick up at these little specks in our and what we're doing like you know we're rubbing some grain and and eating it and um healing people And like you want to have take issue with that when in your own heart you have all this um judging and condemnation and wanting to get rid of get rid of them they're doing harm and destroying life and so what makes the difference between a judgmental condemning attitude and healthy correction it's when the person doing the correction has already first taken the log or the beam out of their own eye, before they start worrying about other people's lives. And this is a person who recognizes that they have sin and failures and shortcomings, and are in need of mercy. And this is the only way they can actually be in a position to help somebody out it's Like I see my own sin, I see my own failures, I see how much I need mercy. And it's only when we get in that state that we're able to actually help someone with the specs in their eye. And this a person who's healthy when it comes to correction are. They're more observant about their own issues than about other people's issues. You know, Maybe you've gotten in moods like that or maybe you've met people like that where it's like, they seem to know what's wrong with everybody else but not see what's wrong with themselves. And so it's like, we need to be more self-reflective and more observant about our stand and our shortcomings and failures rather than um, other people's. And the best person to correct others is the person who knows how much they themselves need correction and how much they how they know how much they need God's mercy as well. So if someone does not deal with their issues first or are unaware of them, perhaps because they're too busy looking at other people rather than in the mirror, they're a hypocrite because they're dealing with someone else's issues when they don't when they have obvious issues of their own. They need to be less concerned with mo- removing the specks from someone else's eye uh, and more concerned with the beam in their own. And I've heard it said uh couldn't Remember where I heard it, but I've heard it said that we often are a lot more quick to give mercy and forgiveness to ourselves than we are to other people. It's like you know, you know if you just understood where I was coming from, or you know, I was having a bad day, or you know, you, you should forgive me. We're very quick to get up, let ourselves off the hook. We're often gonna be less uh, quick to let other people off the hook. Like, no, you gotta you gotta make up for this. And like, I see all these little things. And you want other people like, hey, come on, just give me a break. Don't be so critical. But then we do it the same to others and. One author says, No one gives grace better than a person who knows he or she desperately needs it themselves. And we're all born, you know, if you're in the law firm, we're all born with a gavel in our hand and a law degree on the wall. And we know we like to use the gavel to act as judge in other people's lives. Like, nope, guilty, condemned. And we have a law degree on the wall because we're very good at being defense lawyers uh, for our own sins and issues and failures and we need to put the gavel away and not activate our inner defense lawyer and let, pe- let us see ourselves as we are. This whole first section is about who our teacher is and who we're becoming as a result. Do we follow blind teachers who are concerned with the specks in other people's eyes and blind to their own? Or are we following a teacher who is merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful? Verses 43-45 through 45 add another image showing how deeply one's teachers influence and shape a person. The teacher you follow is going to determine what your heart is like, and your actions flow out of your heart. Why would someone take the log out of their own eye so they can clearly see to take a speck out of their brother's eye? Verse 43 says, For, or because, no good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. Why? Verse 44 explains that, that trees produce according to their kind. Thorn bushes don't produce figs. Bramble bushes don't produce grapes. Trees produce according to what they are. And then verse 45 applies the image. It says, a good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, while the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. People produce according to what's in their heart. What you see on the outside is a reflection of what's in the inside. Actions, and specifically speech, reflect what's going on inside of us because he says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and if someone's speech is filled with judgment and condemnation and speck picking and critique then that shows the condition of their heart going back up to verse 36 it shows that this is not a heart where mercy has found a home whenever I find myself being overly critical or being angry and kind of like judging or condemning people it's like, okay. I need to go back because I obviously do not, my heart obviously is not receiving the mercy I so desperately need. I need to go back and remember how much I need God's mercy. In in the final verses, 46 to 49, he gives our fourth image. And he introduces it with a question. In this conclusion of the sermon, uh, in this section of, of 39 to 49, these verses, Jesus has asked four questions so far. He said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Second, will they not both fall into a pit? Third, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Fourth, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? And finally here he says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus is asking these questions to get his original audience and us as his audience today to, towards self-examination, to think, how am I living? Am I living the way Jesus tells me to live? Or am I following someone else? What's coming out of my heart? He's getting us to, to look at our own lives. And with this final question, Jesus makes clear that calling him Lord doesn't mean he is Lord of our lives. Just giving him a term of, term of respect Uh, or or reverence doesn't mean much. What shows if Jesus is the Lord of our life is whether we're doing what he tells us to do. That's what shows that we're surrendered to him, that we've bowed down to his feet, that we've said, you know, my life is your is is for yours to do what you want with. Actions reveal who is Lord of someone's life. And what we do shows whose words we're building our life upon. And this is addressed to people who have begun following Jesus um, and have indicated the commitment to him but also to the people who came out to be healed like, you know, we just kind of want to be helped by you in this way, but they aren't building our life on you and Jesus uses the image of house foundations, one person, he says dug uh, his house down deep, got below the dirt and got down to like the rock base uh, below it, that's not really how we do houses you know, we don't find the rock base but, and that's apparently what they did in that day, so they get down to the rock and then, okay, I'm going to build my house on this rock down below the dirt but the other person just built it on top of the dirt and it didn't get down to the rock and so they just built it on that and he says when the rains came you know there's all this water trickling down the rainy season comes there's like these um maybe water coming down from the mountains and going through these little wadi um, little valleys that the water would go through or you're know, coming down a hill and if you had it just built on the dirt it would wash the dirt away you know erosion you wipe the dirt away and then the house would fall but if it was on the rock like, oh, there's nothing to wash away there. They were just uh, solid and ready. And the application is that uh, building your life on Jesus' words is building your life on a solid foundation. To do what Jesus says means your life is built on a foundation of rock. And to build your life on someone else's words, or to hear Jesus' words and not do them, means you have no foundation to your life. The image goes back to the blessing and woes at the beginning of this of uh, the sermon Jesus teaching here. He says, you know, if you are uh, have responded to the kingdom, your life is blessed, whether it looks like or not. When the storm comes, like your house isn't going to, your not, your life isn't going to fall apart. You're not going to be knocked down. Or you're going to be stable. Or you're going to be firm. But if you're not building your life on my words or in, uh, in the kingdom and not putting your hope there, then your life is going to fall apart eventually. And you're going to meet a, a bad end. Perhaps everything looks good now, but when the storm comes, someone who's not building their life on Jesus' words will experience ruin. And the point is that Jesus' words do us no good if we aren't doing them. If we just listen and don't do Jesus' teaching is of no benefit to us. A life built on Jesus' words is a life in the kingdom of God and its blessings. And so for yourself, consider where are you headed? In life, what's going to be in the picture frame in a year, five years, ten years, twenty years from now? Who who you follow is going to tell you what's going to be in the picture frame. Uh, The words you live by are going to tell you what's going to be in the picture frame. Jesus says, "Look, the words you live by are taking you somewhere, and who you're following is taking you somewhere. So whose words are we building our life upon? That's taking us somewhere." And so, just to sum up what he, he said, he said, the words you live by will determine where you're going. The, terms you live by will sh- uh, the words you live by will shape your heart. The words you live by grow fruit, grow your fruit in your life. The words you live by determine the quality of your life. The words you live by determine how secure and stable you are. And so the question is, whose words are most important to you? Whose influence uh, are you under? Who is discipling you? Who are you following Whose words do we let tell us what we value, how to think, what to do, or how to live? Whose words are telling us what we should want and desire in life? And when you imagine your future, what do you see there? And who gave you that picture? Jesus is giving these four pictures of, look, if you're not building your life in my words, that's, going to be, that's your future picture, blinding the vine, falling into a pit, and you know, so forth, your house falling down. Jesus says, if you don't live by my words, here's the picture you can expect. You're going to be a hypocrite with a log sticking in your eye while trying to take the specks out of others. You're going to be a tree with bad fruit. You're going to fall into a pit. Your, your life is going to fall apart like a house built of no f- foundation when the storms come. I mean, you ask yourself, is that the picture we want of our future? And Maybe your picture of the future comes from your family. You know, what you were taught. Like, you know, this is what you need to do in life. This is what it looks like to have, uh, you know, a successful life. Or maybe it just is like you just assume your future is going to look like whatever your family's Uh, Was like growing up. Or maybe uh, you get a picture of that from the culture. Um, Culture gives us a picture of what our life should be like. Uh, You know, we have the uh, American Dream selling us a gospel of uh, up and to the right. You know, if you're looking at like a, a chart or something, I think this is the direction, for, no, this direction. Up and to the right, is like things are increasing and going well over time. We don't have this down, you know, think about the stock market. It's just going up, 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 up and to the right instead of ups and downs or, or drops. And it's like, you know, American dream, if you want something, you set yourself to it and like you're going to be you know, progressing up and to the right for your entire life, getting to what you want. But Jesus is giving us a picture for our future. He says, you know, people who are led by someone who can see. This is what he wants us to see in our future. He wants us to be uh, people who are led by someone who can see. People who don't fall into a pit. People becoming like their teacher. People who are able to actually help others. People who bear fruit from good hearts. People who stand firm and stable in the storm. And there's a, a warning in this passage about who we follow. There's only one person whose words give us a stable foundation for life. There's only one person who can, whose words can lead you into a heart change. There's only one person who can change the human heart. There's only one person who won't lead you into a pit, because he's the one who can see you. And Jesus wants us to look within our own hearts and at our own lives to consider whether we're building it on his words. You know, he's telling us look at yourself first. Let who you are following be your greatest concern in life. Uh, not, other, not what other people are doing, but who you're following. And then you'll be in a position to help others. Your, your teacher is going to determine where you're going and what you're becoming like. So pay attention to that. And so we may ask, you know, well, what are other ways we might build a foundation other than on Jesus' words? You know, the foundation is what you put your hope and trust in. It's like if the foundation of this house is good, we can be okay with uh, it's not going to you know, fall apart someday. It's so what we put our hope and trust in. If you get the foundation right, everything else will be stable and good. And so what other foundations do we build upon uh, rather than on Jesus' words? And there's three options I want to give you, and um, there probably are more, but you know, we can build a foundation on what, what we do, on what we have, what others think of us. What we do, what we have, what others think of us. And building your life on what you do is putting your trust and hope in what you can accomplish. At the base of your life, do uh, you think it stands or falls on what you do? You know, If it's going to get done, I've got to do it. So that's the foundation. Is whatever I'm able to do, that's the foundation of my life. Building your life on what you have is putting your trust and hope in what you possess. Money, possessions, relationships, whatever stuff that you're wanting to have in your life. Maybe you look at your future and you're like, this is built on what I do. That's what the future picture is going to be. Or my future picture is, I'm going to finally have these things that I've always wanted to have. Thirdly, what others think of you. Building your life on what others think of you is putting your hope and trust in the opinions of others and their evaluation of your life. Whether they approve of you, like you, accept you. And we look in our future and we see these things. If you see these things in your future, that's not a good foundation to build your life upon. Jesus says to build our lives upon His words, which means we have made Him our teacher. We're following Him. We become like our teacher. And if we let what we do, what we have, and what others think of us become our teacher, then what are we becoming? We're becoming someone who our whole future is based on what we do, and we're becoming someone who, whose whole future is based on what we have, our whole future is based on what others think of us, and we become what we, what we love, what we worship. And if we're worshiping what we do, what we have, what others think of us, then that's where our future is heading. And so, if we follow Jesus and build our life on his words, what is our picture of the future like? Well, you can think, what's guaranteed about my future. Is that I'm becoming more like him. To so a student, a disciple, we become like his teacher. God says that he's working, for those who believe in Jesus, he's working all things together for our good to make us conform to the image of Christ. And we know that God is, so we know whatever I'm doing now, whatever's going on in my life right now, I know my future picture frame includes somebody who looks more like Jesus because God's working everything together for my good. You know, So imagine that, Instead of imagining in the picture of our future what we'll have, what we'll, be, what we'll have done, or what we're doing, or what others think of us, like, ah, oh, this is just what I would like my future to be like. What if we began imagining who we'll become? What if we imagine what our character is going to be like? What if we're like, I want to see in that picture frame somebody that looks more like Jesus in one year, five years, ten years, twenty five years? And we can know we're becoming, if we're following Jesus as our teacher, we're becoming more like him. And what if that was what we had in our picture frame? So how do we build our life on Jesus' words? Jesus wants us to hear and respond to the gospel. When we believe the gospel, we enter into Jesus' kingdom and its blessings. We're given a new status, and position with God. And um, we use these. I have them on the table over there you can grab. Them, but these are like a little tree on these we used them this past summer. Um, where we, then the, the, uh, big idea on this is your view of God grows the fruit in your life um, and so if you're not familiar with this, we have this little tree image and we put at the top, you know, what we're doing what we're doing, this is like what we see happening in our life, the behavior we have who we are what God is doing It's is going to be the best whiteboard writing you've ever seen who god is and then we consider well what's going on in my life like i said when i'm in a judgmental critical condemning others attitude i need to look and say okay that's what i'm doing that's the fruit i'm seeing in my life what does that show i believe about who i am okay well i'm believing i'm the judge of this person's life you know i'm uh, i'm the person who decides uh, their future and their fate and what they deserve. And um, so it's like, okay, what is God doing? Well, I probably think he's not doing much in that instance. Like, I need to be their judge. And who is God? Like, well, he's distant. He's, he's not seeing this. He's not present with this. And so I need to be the judge. And so we do this thing called fruit to root. It's like, what fruit am I saying in my life? And what's down at the root of that? And Jesus is telling him, look, be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful. And so, if we were to draw the other side of this, it would be, okay, if I want to see mercy in my life, and so this is, if you're seeing bad fruit, you go down to the bottom, um, and then you repent, and you believe the good news. So this would be, um, uh, who I'll do is say who God is, uh, what he does, who I am, I'm just doing shorthand here, what I do, and so, it would be, be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Okay, my Father is merciful. That's who He is. What does He do? Well, it says he, he, uh, He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And we know He loves His enemies. He's merciful But who I am. Well, I was His enemy. And so, I've been shown mercy. He loves me as His enemy. He's been kind to me even though when I'm ungrateful even when I'm not acting as should. So now what do I do that transforms us from the inside out? Like, now I'm going to be merciful as my Heavenly Father has been merciful to me. And so every command, um, I think this is true. You have to test it out. I haven't read every single command and tested this, but almost every command is coming from the character of God. Why does God tell us to love our enemies? Why does He tell us to be merciful? Well, because He's already loved us as His enemies. He's already been merciful to us as people who need mercy. And so it's every command you see is take showing us this is what God is like. And he wants you to be like him as one of his children. Make him your teacher so that we become like him. And so this fruit to root, you know, picture yourself as a tree. And Jesus uses that here of like a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruits. like if I'm having bad fruit in my life, what does it mean that I uh, think of God? And true change comes from knowing God as he is. Not just knowing about him, where we'd be able to, you know, if I pass out a little theology quiz to all of you, like, here, I want to see how much you know about God. Like, maybe you could pass that with flying colors, but the reality is, do we actually feel and experience and relate to God as someone who is merciful? Or is it when I sin, I'm actually, like, hiding from Him? I'm feeling all this shame. I can't talk to Him. I need to work myself back into a good place with Him. I was like, that's not, maybe I could say, I know God is merciful, but in that moment, we're not relating to him as merciful. And so how do we get into this place where it's actually we're seeing and relating to God uh, and in the way that he is? And we don't and we need to know God personally and experientially. So, what is a disciple? It's someone learning how desperately they need God's mercy. Because they've taken the time to look at their own sin and shortcomings. A disciple is someone. Being led by a teacher who can see. It's someone becoming more and more like Jesus. It's someone who has a good heart producing good fruit. Disciple is someone building their life on Jesus' words. Disciple is someone with a solid foundation in the storm. And for me, I'd like all of that to be true of my future self. When I look at the picture frame, I'm like, who am I going to be? I'd like all those things to be true. I'd like to be this kind of person in the picture. And going further back in Jesus' sermon, I like to be someone who's quick to forgive and to give rather than judge and condemn. I like to be someone who's merciful as my Heavenly Father is merciful. I like to be someone who loves my enemies, who does good to those who hate me, who blesses those who curse me and prays for those who abuse me. I like to know that I'm blessed even if my situation doesn't look or feel like I am. And so we ask, what if we were a community that together who've taken a good long look at ourselves before we ever tried to help someone else, the person next to us, with their issues, what would that make us as a community? It would make us humble? It would make us compassionate towards sin and struggles and failures? Because we would see, uh, man, I've got, I've, got a, I've got more than you've got. You know, I'm the worst sinner in this situation, so you know, I see this little speck. I've got a, I, I've got a big log I'm dealing with and I've seen, so your respect, I just feel compassion toward it, and patience, and gentleness, uh, that I wouldn't have felt, if I hadn't seen my own issues first. And if we uh, did this, what Jesus is saying, it would make us conduits, and channels of God's mercy, that could flow to other people. Most importantly, it would make us look a lot more like Jesus, who loved the most hurting people of this world, and loves them through us, I'd like my future self to look a lot more like Jesus. And that means surrendering all of life to him and inviting others to do the same. That's what it's all about, is that we're becoming more like Jesus. We're surrendering more of our lives to him, and then we're inviting others to do the same. And we can only invite others when we ourselves have surrendered, when we wake up each day, and go to a situation, surrendered, And we walk with Jesus, and we walk with each other and other people as we all are attempting to Follow this teacher who can see, who knows the way, who can lead us to safety into God's kingdom. And we do that uh, with each other. So we're looking at our own lives and helping other people gently, compassionately, mercifully. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a Father who's merciful. You've shown us mercy, you've loved us as your enemies. And Jesus tells us here that if we do not build our life on his words about your kingdom and about you your life, that we are not heading to a good place. And so Lord, would you let us trust fully and place our hope completely in Jesus' words, in who he is as the word of God become flesh and as the one who teaches us and shows us the way to you through himself. This is we pray. Amen.